We're dealing with the subject of the Good Shepherd. We'll continue. And I know God will bless as we continue listening to the Word. Amen. I am the Good Shepherd. John chapter 4, 14 is where we'll actually be. But I want to read this passage here in John chapter 10, verse 10 through 11. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and you might have it to its full. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Amen. Amen. We've been dealing the last five weeks, we've been dealing with the series of the I Am. And basically what we've done is we've taken those I Am statements of Jesus from, from the Gospel of John. And I, and I didn't want to talk so much about the things which he has done, but I wanted to talk rather than who he is. Because I do truly believe, and I said it before, but I truly believe that as we look to Jesus and know who he is, we'll be transformed from one degree of glory to, to the next. And so that's what we've been doing over the several weeks. We've actually taken the writer of Hebrews uh, seriously. We talked about, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so that becomes the focus of the I Am series, that we might focus upon Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. So we're looking at who Jesus is, what he's all about. And so this morning, we're going to get into the next, the I Am the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10. Now, it's interesting because over the years, I have listened to, to many preachers uh, speak and talk a little bit about uh, just about the, the shepherd and, and, and how he works and what he ministers to. And, and, and usually we understand that the preachers will talk a message and they'll talk about how that sheep are dumb. And you know, I've talked about that before. And how that when sheep do not have a shepherd, they get themselves in a whole world of hurt. Now, I'm not going to disagree with the dumbness of sheep. I'm not at all. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to stay in line with the text and emphasize not simply on the stupidity of the sheep, but to get into the love of the shepherd, because I really believe that's where the text really falls the truth. And so we read, we read that he is the good shepherd, and we are courtesy of the sheep himself. Now, I read something, too, where that sheep are so dumb that if you let them in a pasture to graze, and if they were to eat all the grass that they were around, around them, and it was all done, they would stay there. They wouldn't move. Even though there was grass just over there, they would stay where they were led to. And so therefore, they are dumb and they need a shepherd to lead them. Interesting, the Lord says that we are the sheep of his pasture. Luke chapter 4, 15 says this. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety and nine to, in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, goes home, and he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Now, this is a passage of Scripture that often a lot of preachers will preach on. They'll talk a little bit about Jesus, how Jesus is the good shepherd, and when there's a, a, a lamb that's lost, a sheep that's lost, he'll go out there, he'll leave the 99, he'll find that one, and he'll put it on his shoulders, and he'll bring it on back. Now, the preachers would tell us this, and I heard it many, many times, that if the sheep keeps going astray, the good shepherd will break its legs, break the legs of the sheep, put it on his shoulders, and carry it around until the legs are healed. Then for the rest of the sheep's life, he will have learned a lesson that you need to stay close to the shepherd. And in fact, I was thinking, well, doesn't the, 20, the 23rd Psalm read that? It says this, he leads us, what? Beside still waters, and we lay down between, behind or besides green pastures, and what? He breaketh our legs. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say it at all. In fact, that illustration 
of the shepherd breaking the sheep's legs actually was popularized in 1979 when Paul Lee uh, Tan actually produced this book called Encyclopedia of uh, 7,700 uh, different uh, illustrations for preachers. And so that's when it came about. Because if you go through Scripture, you're going to find out there's no reference anywhere of the shepherd finding a sheep, breaking its legs, and walking around with it. You know, kind of like finds the sheep, he begins to rejoice, snaps his legs, squeals at the shepherd, the poor little sheep squeals in, in, in all kinds of terror because he's been disobedient, because he's been bad. I don't see that. What I see is tenderness and love. Besides, think about it. You're going to break any animal's legs. It's a risky thing. I mean, the animal could die from this, the, the trauma of the injury. And about infection. That in, <laughs> poor, poor little sheep could get infected and die. And if he survived, he could be crippled for life. And his, his legs could even heal deformed. And then I started thinking about how the, the thought is that when there's one lost, that the shepherd will go out and find the one and leave the 99 and then carry around its back until it's ready to walk again after breaking its leg. And I said, in my own thinking, you mean to tell me that one shepherd is going to carry a sheep that was disobedient, with a broken leg, 50 to 75 pounds on his back, on his shoulders, for maybe a week, a month, however long it takes for that little sheep to, to be healed? doesn't seem very practical to me. Also, considering the fact that they're not, <laughs> there could be a hundred sheep in the flock. So what if two sheep break, take off? What's he going to break both of their legs? What's he going to do? And the assumption is that out of the entire flock of a hundred or a thousand sheep, there's only one bad actor. Only one which is disobedient. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever ever to have that kind of teaching our heavenly father does not jesus does not find us rejoice break our legs and bring friends in to see what he's done to us he's a loving keeping he is a good shepherd that's important in fact if you go back to luke the 15th chapter you're going to find there's a connection now the characters are going to change the shepherd's going to find the lost sheep. The woman is going to find that lost coin. And you're going to find the father who restores a lost son. The characters change, but the theme doesn't change. The main point is still the same. And the main point is the joy of heaven over lost sinners being restored. That's the message. In fact, the first part of John chapter 10 is all about the relationship, our relationship to Christ as his sheep. So let's get into that passage and let's look at it a little bit. Starting at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. And here comes the I am statement, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. A hired hand is not subject. Is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So he's, he sees a wolf coming. He abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now if you're taking notes, I want you simply to Underline or parenthesize, whatever you're going to do, highlight 
John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I have come that you might have what? Life to its full. You might have abundant life. Jesus looked the person aside and said, Jesus is always about abundant life. Jesus is all about abundant life. Say it. Thank you. Let me break your legs. About abundant life. I'm telling you what, in this journey of life, a lot of many things are going to happen in your life. And there's going to be days when you wake up and the situations are around you and you don't understand them and you're going to have to wrestle with the thought of Christ being a good shepherd. You're going to have to wrestle with who He is and what He's all about. And you're going to try to reconcile that with what's going on in your life. He never leave nor forsake. Yet I feel forsaken. He's a healer, yet I'm sick. I lost my, my family members are lost and they're not saved and I don't understand why. You said that you know the family, the household would come to know and I struggle. Sometimes we struggle with who Jesus is and what He's all about with what's going on in our lives. I'm going to tell you something. John chapter 10.10 has always served me well over the, over the years of my Christian journey. Because when I come into those times where I'm having a hard time reconciling who Jesus is and, and, and what He's all about and reconcile exactly what's going on in my life right now, it's that passage of Scripture. I look back and I say, you know what? He's about abundant life. I have come that you might have life and might have it to its full or abundant. I'm reminded that no matter what's going on in my life, He came that I might have abundant life. Abundant life. And that's what he's all about. And that's so important. That's so important because it's real easy for us to be obedient when it's easy. It's easy for us to hear the word of God and say, you know what, that makes sense. I'm going to do that right now. Thank you, Jesus. Give me the strength to do this. And we take those first steps. I'm going to be obedient. But then there's times when obedience is hard. And when that day comes, obedience is more difficult, hard. We can't figure it out. doesn't make any sense what's going around us. Our confidence should be the Good Shepherd is always leading me, always leading me into abundant life and never leading me away from it. Never. And think about obedience, why obedience sometimes is very difficult for us. It's difficult because we're afraid. We're afraid. If I have to be obedient, I have to change something, lay something down, I have to, make, I have to tweak that soul of mine a little bit, I'm afraid of what it's going to cost me. It's going to cost family and friends, possibly a job. It's going to be too expensive at this point. It's going to cost me too much. And so I'm afraid. And we begin to wrestle in our mind with those commands of our God. And you read it, and you say, well, that's what the Lord wants me to do. But wow, I don't know if I can. Wow, I've got to think this thing through. And you begin to pray, gee, Lord, I'm only human. I know what your set, your word says, and I, and I and I I know you're right, but if you could really, if you could understand, if you really knew my situation, could you just tweak that command just a little bit? And so we we read the word of God and the commands of God, and we look at it, we want a little footnote by it. A little footnote that we refer back to the old, back into the last pages of the Bible where there's a picture of us. And it says this. Not for you, buddy. That command is not for you. You know, do what you feel you should do. Do what you think you should do. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to do that? To be able to run to the command of God that you're struggling with and say, Lord, 
if you knew my situation, could you probably tweak that just a little bit? A little more grace, a little bit more mercy so I don't have to fulfill it right now. Could you please do that, Lord? And have him say, no problem. Go for it. Do what you want. I got your back. Then we, sometimes we forget that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death, and that's the truth. Because I always think I got the right way. I always got it figured out. I always have it done. And then I'm reminded that the Good Shepherd has the way that I need to go. And my way, which seems right, well, it always leads an end in death. So I guess I need to be willingly submissive to the Word of God. That the Good Shepherd is leading me, always leading me, into abundant life. That's so true. And that's what he said. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And I look at this verse of scripture and I say, wow, that is just, I could just stay right here in verse 14 and go nowhere else because this verse is just rich with images of truth about Christ's concern for us and his care for us. And if we're really honest, there are times in our life where we think God is just putting up with us. Sometimes we get to a point where he's just being patient with us. And what the Lord's really thinking is, come here, angels. You know this guy? Driving me nuts. But I made a promise, and I'm going to keep that promise. I know it seemed like a really great idea 2,000 years ago, but look at the fool right now. Spirit, help me. We get that idea sometimes. It's exactly what God thinks of us. You know, he's putting up with us until we get to heaven. But that's not what verse 12 tells us in John 10. Look what he says. The hired hand is what? Well, he's not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Those are amazing verses. That's amazing. Those are amazing verses. Amazing things are contained within those verses. Jesus is saying right up front, he says, look, I'm not a hired hand. I watch the sheep. And the reason why I watch these sheep is because they're mine. And when Christ sees us, those of us are Christians, he sees someone or something that belongs to him. He's responsible for it. Not a hired hand is going to bail in the days of trouble. The scripture goes on to tell us, the text goes on to tell us that as the wolves come, he will not flee. As the wolves come, he will not abandon us. He will stand in the gap. He is that door. And I'll tell you something. When I looked at the wolf, wolf is not just, the wolves are not just something, not those random difficulties that come into our lives from time to time. We're talking about the wolf. We're talking about the, the very enemy of our soul. We're talking about when sin and death come into our life. Try to destroy us. He said, I will not run. I will not abandon. Because you're my sheep. And that becomes the very first characteristic of the shepherd's relationship to the sheep. He gives his life. He gives his life. When Jesus talks about himself as being the good shepherd, he is saying, I am... I'm talking about provision and I'm talking about care and guidance. And when the enemy comes in, 
When the enemy of sin and death comes into your life, you are secure in me. I will vanquish and I will break the teeth out of the mouth of the lion or of the wolf. You are mine and I will handle this. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I give my life for you. Look at the passage of Scripture. Look at this text and I realize there's a promise that we shouldn't have difficulty, well, embracing. Because eternally speaking, He's talking about how we secure we are in Him and how that He will lay down His life. See, it's actually, when you think about it, it is the Gospel text. That He's going to lay His life down for us and He will kill that wolf. He will overcome death, hell, and the grave. Amen. He does that. And He's done that for those who call upon Him. He said, well, how does He do that? Well, let me explain it one more time so we make sure we understand clearly. It's a simple explanation of the cross. We know that Jesus himself lived in perfect obedience and lives in perfect obedience to the Father's will. He is blameless. He is spotless. He was tempted in every way, the Scripture says, but yet without sin. And when he died on the cross, he was without sin, blameless. And that's what the cross is all about. It's about he absorbing the Father's wrath against those that would become Christians, those who had sin in their lives, past, present, and in the future, he absorbs it all. So now we are seen by God, by God Almighty through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ, that ultimate sacrifice. And when the Father God looks at Father God looks at us, He sees us as a spotless, spotless and blameless in His sight. And Jesus is saying, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for His sheep." And when I read that passage of Scripture, I realize that. The good shepherd is marked by three particular ministries to his sheep. First of all, he dies for them. He loves them. And he unites them. Amen. He unites them. When I go back look in history, I realize that sheep, well, the shepherd is absolutely positively responsible for the sheep. If anything happened to the sheep, he had to prove produce proof. He had to prove that it wasn't his fault. I, I lost the sheep. He's gone or died or wolf gone. But it wasn't through neglect. He had to prove it. In fact, the scripture in Exodus chapter 3, look what it says. If it's torn into pieces by a wild animal, he shall bring it in the remains as evidence and he will not be required to pay for the torn animal. That was part of the law. So when Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, I'm taking responsibility for my sheep. I give an account for my sheep. And I was thinking about the high priestly prayer when Jesus was speaking. What did he say? He said, all those you give me, Father, I've kept. I've kept. I've kept. That covenant that we have between each other is in place. I am the good shepherd. Because you see, if as a shepherd you lost the sheep, you had to give an account for that sheep to the ultimate owner. And so therefore they would battle. They would battle. These men would battle wolves, mountain lions, even bears. David reminds us that there was a time, he talked about in 1 Samuel 17, where he said that you know, he was keeping his father's sheep and, and all this, he had to fight off a lion. He had to fight off a bear. As a result, you know, David became this heroic shepherd. And so to a shepherd, it's a natural thing for a shepherd to risk his life. That's what shepherds do. And they're doing it voluntarily because they don't have to do that. They don't have to. But they do. 
And that's why Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the one who knows, the one who loves, the one who is good, the one who lays down his life. He lays down his life. My choice to do this voluntarily. He went on to say this. He went on to say, look what he said here. He said, I, what? No one takes it from me, his life, but I lay down my, of a bone accord. I have authority to lay it down, talking about his life, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. I have the authority, he says. To lay it down, I have the authority to take it up again. My life as a shepherd, watching over the sheep, it's voluntary. I give up my life for the sheep. Someone would say, that's no big deal. He's God. Listen. There's a lot more to this than just simply being God. Because when you look at the word life, the truth is found in the life. He lays down his life. Now that Greek word for life is with soul. It's suke. It's talking about the whole person. So when you talk about Jesus laying down his life, he's talking about his whole soul being laid down. And the soul, folks, if I were to put it in modern terms today, the soul is like the software of the body. He gave up his soul, his whole person. He just didn't feel the pain of the nails and the thorns or the scourging on his body. No, his whole soul was tortured with sin-bearing anguish and suffering. And that's why Matthew says this, just as the Son of Man did not come to be saved, but to serve, to give, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did he do it? Why did he voluntarily lay down his, his soul? He said, for his sheep. On behalf of his sheep, for the benefit of his sheep. And that's exactly what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. He said, this God, what did he say there? He said, God did what? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He did it for us. The one who knew no sin did it for us. Christ took our place. He, it was an actual atonement, folks. He laid down his soul for his sheep. And from the natural standpoint, whatever happens to the shepherd usually brings an end to the sheep. Because if someone kills the shepherd, the sheep, they're vulnerable they're open to be killed. They scatter, you know. It doesn't matter whether it be the, the animal that's attacking them or the robber or the thief. The death of the shepherd can spell the end of the sheep. Not with the shepherd. Not the good shepherd. He had the power to do what? Lay his life down and take it up again. He said that in verse 18. He said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father, and we know that on the third day, he came out of the grave and he regathered his scattered sheep. In fact, Zechariah actually prophesied that you strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And that's where we were. Scattered. But he came back from the grave and regathered them and he said this. He said this. Oh, he said, and all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. So the death of the, of the shepherd usually meant the death of the sheep, but not in this case. And you say, well, okay, but why did he die? Well, Isaiah chapter 53 verse 8 says, for the transgressions of his people. 
And Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 said, And they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall what? Save his people from their sins. Save his sheep. And that is so unlike the hired hand of verse 12. Who's not the shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep. And when he sees the danger, he sees the wolf coming. He abandons the sheep, runs away. And the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. But the true shepherd cares for the sheep. To the true shepherd, it's not a job for him. It's very life. He's developed relationships with the sheep. The scripture says they are known to him. They are loved by him. And that's not true of a hired hand. And so the very first characteristic of the shepherd's relationship with the sheep is he lays his life down. He gives his life. He gives his life. The second one is that he loves the sheep. The second characteristic then of that relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is that he, he loves them. And that's what's behind. That's what's behind him laying down his life. That's what's behind him being that shepherd. I am the good shepherd, verse 14 says, the good one, and I know, I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This explains why he's laying down his life voluntarily for the sheep. He says, because I know them. And the Father knows me. And the Father loves me. And you get this idea of this word know. The word know has a, this, this idea of a loving relationship. It's not just about knowledge. It's about a loving relationship. And it goes back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, where Adam, he, what did he do? He knew his wife. And what did they do? They had a child. Cain knew his wife, and she had a child. Adam knew Eve again, and she had a second child, Seth. And God actually said to Amos, he said this, Israel only have I known. And remember Joseph, when Mary became pregnant, she, whoa, he was so disturbed, because why? He never knew her. So what are they talking about? The euphemism for intimacy. It's not about information. He's not, I know I have a lot of information on you. It's about love. That word no implies an intimate, an intimate relationship, an intimate, sweet, loving fellowship. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own. And that's why he talks about in John 14, 21, he says, whoever has my command, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to them. Jesus went on to say in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. My Father will love him and we will come to make come to him and make our home with him. The good shepherd. It's a language of love. Not just knowing. And so when you see that word know in this context, it's the idea of a loving, intimate relationship. He says, I love my sheep. I know them. I know more about them in that relationship more than their name. No, more, <laughs> more than just knowing who they are. I have an intimate relationship with them. He says, I know them intimately. I know my sheep. You know, you go back to Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. There's a group of people there and Jesus looks at them and he says, I'll tell you very plainly, I never knew you. Away from me evildoers. 
depart from me. Why? Because I never knew you. I know who you are. I know about you, but I never knew you. I know about you. Yes, I do. Because you're an evil worker. I know about you, but I, but I never knew you. I never had that intimate relationship with you, that love relationship. And that's what he's always wanted for his sheep. To know them. To know us. To have that relationship with them. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his one and only son. And that's the reason why the father gave the son. And that's the reason why the son would give his life. Because he loves the sheep. Which leads us to the third aspect of that relationship. He unites the sheep. First with himself, and then with each other. Jesus makes an astounding message, a statement in verse 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must also, what? I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Who's Jesus referring to? That he's got other sheep of another pen. Here comes Jesus. The scripture reveals Jesus goes to the, the fold. He calls out a sheep. The Lord being that shepherd, he's calling to Israel. He goes to the Jew first. And he calls them out by name. And they follow him. Many would follow him. But what about the other sheep? Who are they? Well, they're non-Jews. They're us. They're anyone who's outside of Israel. They're Gentiles. They're the nations of other people. Now, when, when the Jews hear Jesus saying that, they don't accept that. They are not going to accept that because they think that they're the only ones. And when it comes to Gentiles, anybody outside of their pen, they are it's permanently, they're just permanently outside of salvation. There can be no covenant for them. There's no promises of God to them, none whatsoever. So when Jesus is saying that, they're ticked off. But they shouldn't have been. Because in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6, that's the Messianic chapter, it speaks about the Messiah. And look what it says. I, the Lord, have called you, talking about to the Messiah, in righteousness, I will take hold of your hand, I will keep you, and you will make me, and you, <laughs> and you will make, to be, and you will be made to make a covenant for the people and a light for the, they should have known. And it's just not there either. Jesus is shocking them by saying, I have other sheep, none of this fold. No, it's the Great Commission. Look at the next passage in Isaiah 49. Is it, too, is it just a small thing? Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So why are the Jews ticked off when Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I got sheep of another fold. It was prophetic. It was there. It's supposed to be understood. They should have been rejoicing. But they're shocked. Paul the Apostle in Galatians chapter... Oh, Paul. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 would say that there is neither Jew or Greek, no slave, no free, no male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Matthew 28 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why should that be a shock? 
That's been his intent, an intent all along to unite his sheep. He wants to bring them together. He wants to bring them to himself, to each other. And so that's the relationship of the good shepherd to the sheep. He gives life because he loves. And he brings them into an intimate unity with himself and with each other. And those of us that are joined to the Lord are in one spirit. We are one with him. We are one with other believers throughout this entire world as one body in Christ. Verse 17 says, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, the authority to take it up. This command I receive from my Father. And it's true. It's true without a shadow of a doubt that the Father chose Jesus to be the Lamb of God, to be that acceptable sacrifice. But Jesus had a choice. Look at 17. I lay my life down. No one takes it from me, including the Father. What Jesus is describing here, he's talking about that perfect act of willing obedience. He's talking about his relationship to the Father. That relationship to the Father is one of love and obedience. It should become a model for all of us, for every one of us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 9 would say, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of the man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted the highest place and gave him a name which is above every name. There's love and obedience to humankind. And then there's that final relationship here. That relationship of the good shepherd to the world in verse 19. Because the scripture here says that at Jesus' words, the Jews were divided. You ever notice how many times the Jews are divided when Jesus is speaking? Many of them would say, he's demon-possessed. He's a raving mad. He, why listen to him? Others would say, well, these are not sayings of a man possessed by a, a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? I mean, there's a division between there. Those who say, listen, he's nuts. Why in the world would you listen to him? He's crazy. He's demon-possessed. And others say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Demons can't. Why would a demon do that to a demon? It doesn't make any sense. Demons can't open the eyes of the blind. I look at the two groups, and I say, here's one group. That's the first one. They're irrational blasphemers. And the second group, which is more rational people, just trying to figure things out. But in the end, they both end up in hell. Because it really doesn't matter whether you curse God or whether you think you should treat him respectfully. It doesn't really matter. I would say this that of the number, we would be counted among the disciples that day and we would say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the great shepherd of the sheep who came out of the grave. He is our shepherd, our good shepherd. And you say amen and amen and amen. Father, we come before you right now to recognize your greatness and your love for us. How did you give your life to us that we might be united, be one before you, Lord? That we'd obey you, my Lord. We obey you. You willingly became our sacrifice for our sin. That you might rise us up in justification, Lord, and in glory. You're preparing us for the future. 
as we've walked from the outer courts into the inner, ultimately, where our lives will be, our bodies will be glorified. We acknowledge that, Father, that we are challenged by the journey. And Father, I pray that you'll continue to touch us in such a way that we'll know who you are and that we'll become thrilled with that journey. That life that you bestowed on us right now. And Father, I pray that as we close the service, spend some time in worship, that you will fill us, continue to fill us with gratitude and blessing as we continue to serve you and only you. You are Jesus, the Son of the living God, the Good Shepherd. And you lead us because you love us. You lay your life down because you love us. And you unite us to be one in you. We thank you, Heavenly Father. Church said, Amen and Amen. I want to end the service a little different tonight. The altar will certainly be open, but I, I've got two songs that I take and put on there. One's just dealing with the presence of the glory of the Lord, and one's just dealing with how we want to praise Him. And I thought it would be nice just to end the service with just worshiping Him. And the songs, sing them, listen to them, meditate. But let's just call upon the name of the Lord, and let's worship Him for who He truly is. Amen. And again, these altars are open, but I want us just to spend some time in worship and in praise. Can we do that? Amen? And amen. Praise the holy name. To live with an attitude of worship and praise. Folks, to be able to engage in such worship, not just when we're gathered together on a Sunday, but throughout the entire week, to exalt His name, to express your care and your keeping for Him. Let that relationship be developed because it's not just about him knowing information about us or us knowing information about him, but it's about intimacy. Yielding our lives to him and worshiping and praise. And I'll tell you that intimacy with our Lord begins when we openly worship and praise him. We're not empty. We don't hold back. We just have that freedom to lift our hands, to speak, to love, to cry, to, to relate to him. does something to the spiritual man. It does something to our soul. It's the way our souls are transformed and changed. Because worship affects our mind, our will, and our emotion. It continues to prepare us as we become more like Him. Worship and praise. Give Him the glory. You know, we live in a life in a world where we are bombarded by all kinds of ideas and thoughts and suggestions. We need the time away on a day-to-day basis, being able to glorify His name and worship Him. Jesus said the disciples, they needed to wash their feet on a day-to-day basis because they were just exposed to all kinds of stuff, dirt. And we too, our spirit is, our soul experiences so much, exposed to so much dust and dirt of this world, ideas and philosophies and thoughts. We need to be, we need to be cleansed. And it begins by our worship and our praise knowing who He is and acknowledging that and being able to quote Scripture to Him. And He receives that glory and the honor. Father, we want to thank You for the day You've given to us as You remind us that You are the Good Shepherd and You know us, Lord. You know us. Touch and strengthen as always You do. Let our hearts and minds be open to You as we continue a heart of worship and of praise and everything will be done according to Your will. We love You much. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and Amen. Folks, you're dismissed. Thank you.